We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McEachran, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. Being a fairly serious baker, I maintain a sourdough starter in my refrigerator. Despite how fancy it may sound, a sourdough starter is quite simple. A flour and water mixture, which just so happens to be the favorite meal for yeast. And surprise, yeast is found naturally in our air. So all of the yeast around us settles in, grows, and its waste creates a distinct flavor profile. When this sour tasting sludge is added to bread dough, it imparts a unique flavor. The key to starter is you need to keep it fed, which means you regularly add some fresh flour and water for the yeast to eat. This process of feeding the starter keeps it active, healthy, and flavorful. The more active the starter is, the better results you will get in your end baking product. As I say in the eager to know intro, we all have a creative brain, whether we use it or not. I think of our creative brains as sort of like a sourdough starter. Adding a bit of it to anything will give a unique flavor and a unique result. Having an active, healthy, well-fed creative mind can be an advantage. As you'll hear from this episode's guest, an active creative brain can help results in surprising areas of life. I am happy to share my conversation with dad, artist, scientist, and my friend, Diego Giannolio. So Diego, welcome to Eager to Know. It's great talking to you. So you are one of the first people that I actually met artist to artist. And what I mean by that is it was right when I was just starting to explore art as a career and a mutual friend of ours said, you need to meet my friend Diego, who is an artist as well, who's just sort of doing it on the side. And so you and I met and we looked at each other's artwork. And I think it was probably, again, one of the first artist to artist connections I made. Yes, I remember that vividly. And I'm very happy that uh, we had this connection and I am privilege and honor to have been one of the first people you know you shared your artwork and I was able to see what you were doing and it was obvious to me your skills your your talents <laughs> so when you showed me your first jobs and your paintings I was surprised how naturally and well you did things such as clouds and things that people will go to school to learn how to do so yeah there was a special moment I'm happy I was part of it and I'm happy that you continue and you pursue that the activity. It was yeah. very obvious to me that you had a, a very good talent. So when you were painting back then, tell me about how painting fit into your world because you have, you know, a career that has nothing to do with art. You have a background in chemistry. I believe you have an advanced degree in chemistry. So you're pursuing work that is in that direction. Where did art, fit into your life back then 
Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, definitely science and research, PhD and postdoc uh, in chemistry and biochemistry have always been my focus, my passion. However, yes, I had this additional passion and interest for painting. And it really fit with the free time I had available. When I was younger, it may have been during the summers, you know, then I could uh, dedicate myself to painting as an adult working full time. It was really something that I would dedicate any free time I had available. So I don't know, it was really like uh, touching on a different part of myself and uh, really getting to it uh, anytime it was possible. So I would say it was more of a hobby or something that I was able to do during the free time. Yeah. Can you tell me about the emotional state a bit? Is it something that would say, recharge your brain? Is it something that was an escape? Was it something like, what did it do for you? I would say, yes, definitely relaxing, but um, an escape, as you say. So a moment where I would just, um, I would put music in the background and paint and just um, relax and express myself artistically. You grew up in Italy. So did you start painting as a kid? I know that art, I think, is a bit different in Italy than it is in the U.S. Mm-hmm. In, edu- in the education system? Yeah, so definitely. So in Italy, well, as kids, of course, you know, every kid in the world likes to paint and draw. But in um, middle school in Italy, we have, we start with the classes for artistic education. So that's what I started to learn about oil painting and other techniques such as watercolors and one class that was really fun was the one where we did the etching. So I really liked that. So yeah, that's how I started when I was younger. My brother painted some and mother also made a few paintings. So I, there was some exposure at home as well. And so that's uh, how I started. Really, when I was in high school, then I would just buy my own canvas and do some of the work. It Was it always oils? It was always oils, yeah. And that's uh, what I've been attracted to, the medium and uh, yeah, the consistency of the paint and the smell of the uh, linseed oil. So has always been oil. I wish I had been introduced to oils early on. Um, I assume in my high school we had oils, but certainly we never had them in middle school. I mean, I, I had art starting in elementary school and oils. Mm-hmm. The, o- the only time I ever saw oil paint was we used to get these paint-by-number Oh yeah, do you know paint by number? My my older sisters would get them, and uh, and I remember that was oil paint, and I remember I loved how it smelled, and I remember watching them and seeing how the paint was applied, mm-hmm. and how it flowed, <clears throat> and I thought it was very intriguing and interesting. You are not currently painting. No, and, I'm not. And no. it sounds like you are fine with that. Yes, I am. Yeah, my easel, my uh, brushes and everything are inside of a a small closet. And uh, I'm okay with that. I think that painting is something that's an expression. It's something that, yeah, really comes from within. It's hard to do it for me because I have to do it for several hours. It's more of an expression of myself and my feelings and Currently, I'm not doing it. Now, did something happen that changed in your life that maybe changed the dynamics in your life that something as important as painting no longer had value? Mm -hmm. 
Well, for sure, at least in terms of timing, was the birth of my twins uh, as a single father of two kids. So there's the technical aspect of that, which is the time, of course, uh, although now they're a little bit more grown. You know, they're four years old, they're still kids, but it's not as intense as it was when they were babies or toddlers or, you know, really the terrible two period. But yeah, so there's, again, yeah, more of the technical, the less free time, but um, perhaps there was also something else that has occurred that you know emotional change and place for myself that just um made that happen you know then i'm not painting any longer in a good way you know there's no remorse or forcing myself it's just more of a mental state what i find myself now in doing this podcast i'm realizing that very often painting and creative expression is doing something for people. Oftentimes mm -hmm. it's more than just a way to make money. It's actually yes. either solving a problem, it's healing mm -hmm. something, it's resolving something, mm -hmm. it's expressing something inside that can't be expressed in any other way. So, and it sounds like that is somewhat of the case with you. So the mm -hmm. fact that you no longer need that, that's so interesting to me. Yes, yes, it's true. I think that painting for me, yes, represented sort of a attention to detail, nurturing, focus, and um, perhaps, yeah, that's more directed towards my children or has taken, you know, that part of myself. Ironically, before my children arrived, I thought I was going to paint portraits on my children. I said, you know, this is going to be great, such a combination of the two. So I don't know, it's not really that they, I don't see it as they pushing away the artist inside of me or they, you know, uh, taking away anything special. It's just probably more of a uh, energy that I have, attention that I have that's directed in a, in a different place now. So not so much in art and canvas and painting, but towards them. Do you think that growing up in Italy where art is such a <laughs> part of culture, it's visible everywhere, you know, the churches, yeah. the architecture, yes. the artwork. I mean, it's just part of your culture. That would make you more open to doing art as a way to express yourself more than people, I would say, probably, particularly males growing mm -hmm. up growing up in the U.S. Um, do you ever think about that? Like what, oh, what, yeah. would it, what would have happened if you didn't grow up in Italy? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what would have happened. Perhaps being the same person, I would have different stimuli. But what I know for sure, yeah, is growing up in Italy, paintings, you know, as kids, you of course go to museums, but, you know, we were playing soccer and kicking the ball and the priest would be upset because on the other side of the uh, wall, there was the church, there was a fresco, you know. Uh, so he was upset that we would damage it or... You know, just walking through, going to school and passing in front of statues of um, uh, goddesses and Venuses, you know, with the breasts exposed and the fountains and uh, all the statues and definitely play a part, you know. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely a big influence for me growing up in Italy, exposed to all of this. But also at home, my uncle, uh, he was a... Um, arts critic so he 
had a lot of paintings and yeah, paintings that would be portraits that would expose the human body, you know. So for me, I grew up looking at that, seeing that, those expression of um, art. So those definitely had an influence in my, in my work. Yeah. Let's talk about your work that you were doing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Can you t tell me about, describe that to people listening? So my work was uh, portraits and uh, yeah, so part of it was the image. So you would see, okay, oh yeah, I recognize this person from this painting. But a big component of my paintings was the um, emotional view. So when you look at the person in the portrait, you would know what they were thinking. In many cases, it could be like a sultry look um, of a man, of a woman. So yeah, that was really my work of art, uh, portraiture, and then really capturing the moment of the expression. But it could also be a child asleep, you know, really conveying to you the um, how restful they were or a girl holding her teddy bear, how she was sort of fierce holding her teddy bear. So those, you know, expressions. So it wasn't just the person, how they looked, which actually had my own kind of way of representing the uh, features, but a big part of it was uh, the feelings, the expression, what these people were thinking. Having a connection with what people are thinking, mm -hmm. a, lo a lot of people aren't, like that, like they go through the world and they are focused on, they're not focused on the emotions of other people and they kind of have like a low, what is it called? An EQ, mm -hmm. an emotional quotient. Have you heard that term? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. So I assume that if this is what you're doing in your art, you're probably aware of the nuances of people's emotions, interactions of people. Is, is that accurate that you're able to reflect yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And also really the body. And as I was mentioning, for me, the human body was something that I have seen growing up. So a friend of mine always told me, in your painting, there's always a nipple. I can always see one, you know, whether it was exposed or whether it was under the uh, silk dress, for mm -hmm. example, of a female. So it yeah, was mostly it was, fem it was mostly females, right? I think I, think I yeah. recall everything that I saw was mostly female. Yeah, female primarily, yeah, men as well, but I think, yeah, most likely female. I want to talk a bit about your non-artistic stuff. You studied mm -hmm. chemistry, yes. was it? Yes, organic chemistry, PhD, and then the postdoc in biochemistry. <clears throat> that has also been my profession in the industry, working as a scientist and then more recently clinical scientist, so clinical trials. When you were young and you were deciding what you wanted to, what your interests were or what you wanted to do as an adult, you obviously chose a non-creative, non-artistic path. You chose something, you know, more science-based, which I did as well. My degree is in engineering. Mm -hmm. Was that because it was something that was more of a guaranteed career? Tell me about like why you decided to do, obviously your brain resonated with the science side of things, mm -hmm. you know, so it yes. wasn't. That, that was obviously a natural tendency to that. Can you tell me about that uh, experience of making that decision? Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. I think uh, one nuance I want to bring in is that as a scientist, there is perhaps an artistic piece of it when you're really trying to do something that has never done before. If you want to make progress in science, you're really going into a territory that's never been experimented. 
So that really brought in some of my artistic, if you will, like, would you really do that reaction? And yes, you know, that's really what I wanted to do that I felt that was going to work out. So, you know, perhaps, you know, there may be a little bit of an artistic uh, necessity or need when being a scientist. So I think that I was also aware or informed growing up or educated about the fact that, you know, working as a scientist, it would have been a profession that perhaps could have been recognized once I had my diploma in the industry. And so, yeah, I think that that had also, that had also probably an influence in terms of my direction. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up that example of doing something out of the standard process uses the Mm -hmm. creative part of the brain. I sort of summarize what you were saying. Yeah. I think that's a really, my brain like lit up when you said that, because I think that is one of the things that I've discovered in doing creative work. Um, I feel like a lot of what people do in their jobs and what their jobs are judged against is based on established criteria and standards. So someone sets goals for you, someone tells you what your job description is, and what you're judged on is how close to that you match or whether you exceed it. And I feel like that takes a certain non-creative type of part of your brain where you're just sort of following the rules. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the same type of brain when I was studying calculus, chemistry, and physics, where like it's already been figured out. I never understood why people thought it was hard. Like all the hard work's already been done. Someone figured this out years and years and years ago. You're just replicating it. When you're doing something out of the normal path and you're being innovative Mm -hmm. and you're creating, not in an artistic way, but in a business way or thinking new ways to solve a problem in business, like that's using the creative part of your brain. So when it goes back to you know, arts in school and all that stuff, which obviously they do in Italy and not so much here in the US, I feel like that's where it would manifest itself and we would get results by mm-hmm. investing in that. Not necessarily that we would be creating more painters, but that we would be um, opening up people to th- see problems differently and think of new solutions. I agree with that. I think, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, a very important part of our education that that's very uh, good observation. Do you feel like you may have an advantage in your workplace because of your creative background? In regards of my goals and my job, yes. Um, you know, they're really, my job, they really like the can-do mentality. When you're creating art, you know, something new, something that comes out of you and you're showing it on a canvas or a sculpture, whatever that may be. So in my work that, kind of artistic, if you will, expression. It's very, very much appreciated. Some colleagues will say, well, you know, this project is just not possible where I could find more creative ways of making things happen or go around it. And so, yeah, so that piece definitely concerning my actual job and what I need to do at work. When it comes to art, painting, so it was something that I shared uh, my previous job because I changed jobs uh, in the last few years and colleagues liked it you know we had these get-togethers and yeah they really enjoyed also seeing my paintings and have this, this kind of social hour after work where we would just I would just bring my paintings and uh, show them show them to them and or sometimes organize a dinner and so yeah there was definitely something that they also enjoyed 
it brought a little bit more color to our daily routine. Tell me about being a dad. Mm-hmm. I am not a dad, uh, but I had one yes. and I was a son. Uh, yes. So I kind of have an idea of what it would be like. What is it like being a dad and how is it different from what you expected it would be like? So being a dad is wonderful. It's such a great experience. For me, I wanted to be a father. So I was ready for it. So definitely something that came into my life as a desire. It manifested itself into more same or more of what I expected. I think things that I didn't, uh, couldn't foresee was the challenge, which is not just the uh, specific matter of feeding them and, you know, changing clothes and waking up if they wake up at night. But it's the challenge of really raising children, educating them. You know, we come to this world as little um, tyrants, you know, the terrible tools we we know my kids, but everyone as a human, we want to do what we want to do. We just experience, we just want to play, but also, you know, pull out the flowers of the um, houseplant and put our fingers inside of the electricity socket. You know, they do all of those things. So it was really a challenge of really um, being able to explain to them, no means no, you don't do this. And how do you do that? So, you know, it was really that part of being a father, you know, that challenge. So were you saying that you didn't realize that people are born kind of like as little, little animals with just Mm -hmm. animalistic tendencies and they really have to be trained to be proper humans? I guess I knew, but when I've been in charge, you know, the person that had to manage this, keeping them safe and at the same time explain to them, I just, I guess the extent of how intense it was, I didn't really grasp until it was my responsibility to manage this. And um, yeah, but then also on the other side to see how things progress, you know, how you can then educate a child and explain and, you know, Uh, making progress with that. So that's very rewarding. Do you worry about your kids a lot? I feel like if I'm a worrier in general, Mm -hmm. and I feel like if I had children, I would be overwhelmed with worry about them being out in the world. Not really. I initially, I think, yeah, so I had this very close relationship and then you know, I had to put in some distance because I need to work. I need I needed to travel, so I became too accepted. No, I mean, of course, I wish uh, they would live a sheltered life like I provide to them currently. I know exactly what happened in preschool, and the teacher calls me and explains to me. Then I have I will have to let go of that. But no, I don't worry about it. I think, yeah, you always hope for the best and. Yeah, I guess, you know, have a lot of uh, faith and things working out and just doing my best. I think for me, the best I can do to prepare them to the challenges out there is just to love them, to really yeah, take care of them and sure that they're loved, that they understand that. Yeah. Are you envisioning yourself or are you the type of dad, like the buddy, or are you more of the dad, the disciplinarian? <laughs> 
<laughs> I think both, really. Yeah. So the disciplinarian, for sure. You know, it's time to go. You haven't put your shoes on to, you know, to go. You know, someone's got to tell them. Um, but I also offer that side of being a buddy of really um, cuddling up with them and. You know, something happened, you're upset about it, you're crying, you can tell me about it. So, yeah, I guess, you know, I have to pull all those different strings, you know, bring a little bit of each yeah. to the relationship. What has being a dad, how has that changed your view of like the world and yourself in the world? Well, definitely, I guess, yeah, so much better appreciation, understanding for my parents, for all the other parents out there. Again, you know, all the work and challenge, but also the rewards that are there, you know, the love that you get from your children. So you're a single dad. Correct. Do you connect with other parents and have friends, like hang out with mm -hmm. other parents and other, other single dads in mm -hmm. those groups? I do, for sure. Yes. So becoming a father, yes, it was this additional giant uh, social network from neighbors to friends to people that work that have kids to really be able to relate. And that includes the whole range from uh, single mothers, single fathers, couples. Yeah. So I guess, right, as parents, we all deal with the same, whatever the situation is. And yeah, perhaps this is additional connection with some single parents and I have done. Then uh, yeah, that's definitely very important part of my network. Yeah. What would you say to people, particularly met young men who are considering uh, having children, you know, as a single dad, what would you say to them? I would say, you know, if it's something that's in your heart that you really want to do, go for it. You know, as the, wonderful experience uh, for me that's something you know I check all the um, sentences if I could go back I'll do the same thing check I cannot see my life without them check you know I really encourage those that see this as their desires their nature to pursue it for sure and you would not have been able to do this living in Italy is that correct that is correct yes because yeah my kids yeah, we're born through uh, donations and surrogacy, and that's against the law. So it would it wouldn't have been possible. What is against What is against the law? In Italy? Uh, surrogacy and donation. So I guess yes, there's IVF. People can generate embryos, but it has to be within a married couple. You couldn't have. It's against the law to go to an IVF clinic that wouldn't do it for you. But to have an embryo, that's not part of it. Uh, married couple. Okay. Do you have siblings? I do. Yeah. Okay. I have three and, brothers. And do they live in Italy? They do. Yes. And are they supportive of your situation with your, with your children? Yeah. Very. Uh, yeah. My, you know, it's a big family and I have nephews and nieces and my children have their own cousins and, you know, it's part of the whole picture. And yes, my brother's and when I told them initially that that was something I was going to do, they were surprised and they wanted to better understand. And while, while you know, especially as a single father, um, my parents too, you know, they really at first um, wanted to understand how this was happening. And they had some concerns in terms of the technicality and how to 
raise the children on my home, my own, but they eventually came on board and they've been very, very um, supportive. And actually, since I became a father, my relationship with my family has been closer and even more loving, especially with my parents. Okay, great. Well, Diego, thank you very much for talking with me on a Monday morning. This is the first conversation I think either one of us have had with people to get our, to get our week started. So I'm glad that I was able to start it talking to you. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate it. Thank you for the time. And it was a pleasure connecting with you again. My name is Ricky McGeckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast. 